So our guest preacher uh, used to be on staff here at City Hope. Uh, as of last week, he uh, is no longer on staff here at City Hope, but he's still going to preach for us. Um, so uh, yeah, you guys know Rome. So Rome, go ahead. Man, man, it's crazy coming all the way from 327 South Liberty to be in the house today. Uh, City Hope, God is good. And all the time, God is good. All right, we are excited to be in the house of God today. Amen. Amen. Uh, We have such a task ahead of us in Ephesians. Some might say Ephesians. Ephesians. And I honestly, I'll be honest, I struggled this past week thinking of where, where to go with this, right? With the, we're in the beginning of chapter 2 in Ephesians, and as I sat back this week, I said, man, wouldn't it be nice to be rich? Like, for real, for real I know we like to act holy and everything, but if you've been through life at all, your mind has wandered to this spot on just what if I was rich? Like, what if I didn't have to worry about anything? Like your job, doing stuff you dislike. What if where you lived, the things you wanted to do, where you wanted to go, what you desire most right now? What if you were rich with no hassle? And this past week, I visited a house in Indianapolis and it It'll be our new residence as I look forward to the future with Laura uh, in the back to say what's up to Laura, you know what I'm saying? Hey, Laura, you feel me? Uh, But what if I didn't have to worry about gas, groceries, moving, random car problems, you know what I'm talking about? So, like, what if I was rich? The question we're going to answer in today's text, I know we don't like to talk about it in in the church, but how to get rich, okay? Stick with me, stick with me. How to get rich. Now, if you're like me, you probably seen advertisements, right? Maybe you've read books, you know, you know about the pyramid schemes out there, you feel me? <laughs> Chris knows about the pyramid schemes out there. Uh, but they often fail to deliver, right? It failed to deliver, and the people in this time that we're looking at had it no different. In fact, the writer of this book, Paul, actually experienced pushback from his message of how to get rich in this city of Ephesus. We're actually going to start in Acts chapter 19, 23 through 28. I shouldn't have messed with Chris because he's on the slide, so hey man, it's all love, you feel me? (laughs) About that time, (laughs) there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. So he was booming. Business was booming. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there's danger. Uh Uh-oh, there's danger. Not only that this trait of ours may come into disrepute, but also 
that the temple of the great God Artemis may be counted as nothing. He don't really care about that. He's trying to get the bag. And that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis. So if you, if you look at the business model of Demetrius, although he got considerable success in his ventures, the whole foundation of the cash flow came crumbling down from one message. Just one message. And granted, this didn't happen overnight, right? Paul was in this place for close to three years, right? But there wasn't much security in the currency Demetrius invested in. So as we come to our present passage for today, the people in this time, they understood from this the value systems around them was heavily based around religion and money. But we see clear here, those riches did not last. They were threatened easily by one factor that flipped the whole ecosystem and customer base. So as Paul begins in chapter 2, we see a bleak picture of what life is for the Ephesians in their culture. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And you were what? Dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Right now, this is a toughy one. It's ultimately what we try to prevent from riches. What we want is to avoid any type of death. When you seek to get rich, you're trying to prolong your life as much as possible, right? It's wealth, health, any form of pain, any form of discomfort. You don't want no parts of that when you're trying to get rich. But... Here in our first step of learning how to get rich from Paul, we have three enemies against pursuit of riches. Okay, somebody say three enemies. Three enemies. This is your enemy. Three enemies. Three enemies against our pursuit of riches. And he drops the bombshell, though, that these Ephesians were dead. Right? And when he says you to them, we can take that cue as well. We must recognize the starting point for everybody. They said the rest of mankind is dead. And when we learn of the system that the dead are under, it would be this unholy trinity. What do I mean by that? Well, a few weeks ago, you know, Josh, your man's pastor, Josh, he talked about God being triune and in three persons. Well, these three enemies work in a similar form and fashion. You feel me? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that Holy Trinity, Paul is breaking down the opposite. Here, we have the world, the flesh, and the devil, the enemy. These these are three enemies that are constantly against us. And we're going to break down each enemy, starting off with the world, the first enemy to riches. When we consider the world in this context... Paul, he's talking about the systems, the beliefs 
the patterns of thought against God's design and intent for how the earth was created to be. But it's also the ideas that try to leave God out of the picture or view him as an afterthought or as outdated. You feel me? So the world seeks to raise, say, in the realm of academics, the human mind above God and his intelligence. Or, say, in the field of science, it seeks alternative narratives to God's creation story. There's also in politics seeking to establish power outside of God's rule and reign in ways that are also inconsistent with his character and oppressive to other human beings. Not only that, we see the distortion of the world's influence and how people are not valued as much as capital and business. As we've seen, Ephesians saw that as well. They didn't value God's ways as much as they did money and business. Not too much different from today, right? But that's why we see joints like 1 John 2, 15 through 17, do not love the world or the things in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides, excuse me, abides forever. So it's clear the world as the first enemy is not a currency that would allow us to get rich. It's impossible, actually, to love God and love the world because it's all passing away, right? You have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life that the world is trying to feed into. So we establish the world is the first threat to our journey of riches. Okay, somebody say the world. The world. But actually the world... It's simply the force that the other two use and respond to. So the second threat to riches is the prince of the power of the air. It's none other than the devil, you know what I mean? Which he's the only ruler in this trifecta that is mentioned. And with being labeled a prince of that, his power is clearly limited. Sometimes we think he ultimate, he running around, he doing everything. The devil ain't make you do everything, you feel me? But he's definitely present. You feel me? The devil's definitely present. And it's rightfully named the power of the air because that's exactly what this enemy does. Right? He's trying to get you to grasp after stuff you can't hold. It's air. Somebody try to grasp the air right quick. Y'all get something? If you got something, talk to me afterwards. I don't know what you're doing. (laughs) I'm concerned. Uh, But... Anything that is promised from his reign can never be held. It's simply air. You feel me? And we saw this when he approached Jesus in Matthew 4, 8 through 9 as a ruler of kingdoms. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kings of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. But Jesus, 
he knows that the world wasn't created by the devil. So clearly, it's air that he's trying to offer him. But illusion is the only thing that the devil can promise. And deception is what this enemy works on to you. Often there's too much credit given to this ruler because it seems like he's doing so much in the world, right? And the reality is he only works with attempt, as a tempter with these things, you feel me? He's not the originator. He's not the creator, you feel me? He did not create the world. and He accuses with the desires of the flesh that we talked about the world try to feed into, you know what I'm saying? And it, it's not always as blatant as we like to think about it. And I remember actually, personally, back in middle school, one of the biggest things I used to do, man, and a lot of cats I ran with is, I don't know if y'all hip to it, but you remember like the little YouTube documentaries about your favorite celebrities or artists, they in the Illuminati or not, you feel me? Anybody ever looked them things up? And they had like Drake in the Marvel's room, they said he got the little one-eye thing. That's, he confirmed the Illuminati. If you play this song backwards, you can hear, I'm a devil worshiper. You know what I'm saying? If you played it real slow and chopped it up. And I was like, dang, it's really evil out here. And I, me as an artist, I'm like, dang, I don't know parts of Illuminati. <laughs> but a lot of that stuff, it, there's legitimate evil in the world, right? We know that. We understand that. But there's also power in this third enemy. You feel me? Like, we see things also recently such as the little, I'm not sure if y'all are familiar, Lil Nas X dropped some shoes, right? Hopefully nobody got them all here, you feel me? But <laughs> they're like supposed to be these devil shoes with a drop of human blood and 666 on it and, um, you know what I'm saying, the pentagram, like all this stuff that's clearly trying to symbolize a demonic, you know what I'm saying, kingdom and representation. So you look at things like that and you're like, oh, well... Probably not going to cut one of those, you feel me? But at the same time, the devil doesn't always work as clear pictures as that, you feel me? The devil, like we said, he's trying to deceive, right? He's trying to work in ways that's a little bit more shifted, you feel me? Shifted. And the the, the thing is, most of us, we're not going to be tempted to get shoes like that. We're not going to be tempted with clearly evil things. I still haven't been asked to join the Illuminati yet. Maybe I'm not as far along as an artist as I think I am, but that's not a temptation for me. You know what I mean? But the final threat that's usually a thing that's working the devil's using is the flesh. Somebody say the flesh. And this is probably the hardest, one of the hardest foes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, right? Carrying out the desires of the what? The body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So like everybody's struggling with this aspect of an enemy. And this is the place everybody lives, right? Both the body and the mind, our thoughts and our actions. The desires of our body and the physical and mental aspect we seek to preserve riches from can't be obtained by the flesh, right? Because the flesh is never satisfied. I mean, you ever had one cookie and said, I'm good? Yeah, if you do, let me know, because that's never happened for me. 
But what does it say? People are by nature children of wrath, including the rest of mankind. So this doesn't detract from people having worth and dignity, right? It doesn't say that people are no longer made in the image of God, being under the flesh. But we get a clear picture of what the flesh looks like. You know what I'm saying? And how do we do that? Galatians 5, 16 through 19. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And catch this. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. And I think, is the next slide on there? Okay, never mind. Jump right back. Jump right back. You're going to keep it right there. But as I was watching a podcast video by one of my favorite artists, his name is KB, right? KB, Kevin Burgess. Yeah, some people know him, didn't uh, He has his podcast called Southside Rabbi, where he's reacting to culture. And he was also talking about the little Nas X shoes that, that dropped. Um, and when you see something like this, though, it's clear the works of the flesh that I say already off the bat is the biggest wrestle is fleeing from the sexual immorality. Paul is pointing towards these things that are very much deceptive right now in our culture. You feel me? Sex is literally everywhere and inescapable. In so many forms. You feel me? And from my own wrestles with pornography that led me to trust in Jesus to present day struggling with lust. It's distorted to solely be for our own pleasure and benefit, right? But is that God's design? Did God design it that way? I remember during one staff meeting with Josh, um, we even talked about how how much the reality that it creates life isn't even considered anymore as much. It's more about what you get out of it. And this is not to say that birth control, contraceptives, or or any other means are contrary to God's will, but the reality is that the moral compass of what qualifies as goodness in sex rarely considers God nowadays. It considers people and our desires and what we want the most. Instead, it's instant gratification and casualty without expectation of any sense of commitment, right? But the reality is this is probably one of the most subtle and easiest ways that the devil could work its way in because it makes it seem like it provides great pleasure and it's so widespread that it's wrong to deny any person of that desire, Right? But we know that God is designing within marriage, and it's a work of the flesh outside of that if you're solely seeking your own benefit. And as we go down the list in that verse, it has some more. I didn't have the, the rest of it up, but it had impurity, uh, sensuality, and then jealousy. You know what I'm saying? How many people get jealous looking on social media, looking at other people's lives, looking at what other people are making? Envy. Strife, the stuff that you believe and hold on to. And if somebody else believes the opposite from you, 
wanting to distance yourself or how some cats say, cancel out. If you completely disagree, forming a notion about somebody and then sticking with your tribe and not wanting to connect. All these things are works of the flesh that keep us bound. And it's something that we have to constantly be on guard against. We seek to serve our body over all things in our mind. Like you said, the body and the mind are constantly trying to get you to think, to elevate yourself or do things that elevate solely yourself. And that's a tough spot to where it's even deeper when Paul looks at it in Romans 14, 23. If you can turn it for me. But whoever has doubts is condemned even if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And Paul is talking about um, different people's beliefs on, on eating and which food is good, food offered out of stuff like that. And his conclusion is anything not proceeding from faith in God, if you truly have doubts about something and you go ahead and do something to satisfy your own desires, it's coming from sin. It's proceeding from sin. So it goes so deep that the very nature, the very core of it, is against God, anything not even from faith, right? So this is such a hard, a hard place to be in to where when Paul says Ephesians 2.1, everybody is dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins, you feel me? And it's not just flowery language like, uh, it's my, no, death comes from this. It's no way possible for a dead person to choose, right? It's no way possible for a dead person to ultimately determine, you feel me, what they're, they're not a slave to, what they are. So Paul is very bleak with the language he uses, and I don't think we should just brush over because sometimes it's hard for us today to grasp that, oh, even though there is value, and how we're created without God, apart from God. He says, you were dead from your trespasses and sins. So if we recognize, right, that we cannot get rich through the world, the flesh, or the devil, how then do we get rich? How do we scratch that itch? How do we stop these desires? How do we not weary under the crushing burden of the day-to-day concerns of bills, family, friendships, relationships, all that. I got an answer for you. God's riches at Christ's expense. Somebody say grace. Now, say it like grace. Say grace. Say grace. 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 I love it. 
Josh gave the, I'm keep talking about Josh, but he, he grinding. You feel me? Josh gave the perfect example last Sunday that actually stuck with me throughout the week. He said, if God is the sun that lights everything around us, right? Jesus is the sun ray that we can see. He's the ray of sunshine that we can visibly see God through. And I was blown away by that. But I like to take it one step further. You feel me? Take one step to the, to the left, to it. The Holy Spirit allows us to enjoy the warmth and see God's light without being consumed. In fact, in verses 4 through 5 of Ephesians, we see the Trinity in full view. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You're like, okay, wait, hold on. I only see two right there, right? I only see God and I only see Christ. But verse 5 made us alive, right? It begins with God's mercy, and the Holy Spirit is present in making us alive. And Christ saves us together to life. And how do we know the Spirit is involved in this passage? Because Romans 8 through 11 confirms it, that it's through Spirit's power that Jesus came alive. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you, right? God is present completely in opposition in contrast to the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil in the first three verses all point to death, right? That's the only thing you're going to get following the course of the world, following the desires of the flesh, and following the prince of the power of the air. Each one in their own way eventually runs out. The world is passing away. The devil's going to be thrown in the lake of fire, and the flesh eventually dies. Everybody dies body comes to an end. But the contrast of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7 is ridiculous because how does it describe God's riches? You can jump to the next one, I believe. You ain't got another journal on there? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But now, the immeasurable if you got your Bible open, turn to Ephesians 2, <laughs> verse 7. You feel me? But it's immeasurable. God's riches are immeasurable. The riches of his kind. You think you could put that up for the people? Or no? Nah, it, is it not, not able to bring it up? Not on live? Oh, dang. Okay. Well, if you're watching live, you know what I'm saying, God, pull up your Bible. You feel me? People that here got it, got it on lot, but you know what I'm saying? We're going to keep it moving. Oh, it's on the way. God bless you, feel me? Appreciate you. Josh working extra hard today, man. But 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7 talks about its immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. Ooh, look at that. Look, Chad, this fly, man. Animation, man. Ooh. <laughs> he wanted to do that. He said, I've been waiting all week for the. We just fit. The budget on these special effects, man. Uh, but <laughs> the, we used to pay Rome, but now we give it a dog this late. So God can point uh, to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us. The translation I had said riches toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. You feel me? And it's incredible wealth here. I, the one I said said immeasurable. You feel me? You can't measure the grace that God has. You feel me? And here's the other thing, too. In kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In kindness. This is not something that he's reluctantly given for, say, a tax write-off. You feel me? For tax benefits. To, you know what I'm saying? For charities. Nope. God desires to give grace. And then also in James chapter 4, 6, if you can pull that up for me too. We got this, yeah. Um, James chapter 4, verse 6. God, it says God gives more grace. He poses the proud but gives grace to the humble. And this is right after talking to the people about all the issues that they're facing, right? They have worldly ways of behavior, worldly ways of living, that they're jealous, they're murdering, they, they have a lot of dissension. But Jesus, but James, excuse me, James tells them, but God gives, yeah, James, he gives grace. I like the animation. I have to do that every Sunday, man. And he gives grace generously. As the scripture said, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God gives grace. When you thought you felt the temptation for the last time, he's done with you. He gives grace. When you feel overwhelmed by the influence and troubles of the world, he gives grace. When you feel the enemy is against your life and your mind, your well-being, he gives grace. All the other promises from the world, the flesh, and the devil cannot compare to the grace God has promised us in Christ Jesus. This grace was enough to save through faith. And Paul drills home the foundation of becoming rich in this next part, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. A grace that actually enables a grace in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. Rather than working for good things, all the other riches of the world, the flesh and the devil, don't compare to what this grace does for us. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's 
masterpiece. He has created, created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Right? And what does the world tell you every time? You have to carry out desires. You have to work hard. You have to earn your spot. What does your flesh tell you? You have to earn. You have, you have to do more. You have to make up for your mistakes. What does the devil accuse you of? You love God. You just did that. How could you think that way? How could you do that? Constantly against your mind, constantly against your body. But God is not the same in the grace he gives. God's grace is so much radically different from the world's for when we mess up. God's grace is so transforming to where it, it's not, after that, it's nothing you even feel like you can boast in because the grace is so amazing and so sustaining fully. But the question you might be asking yourself still is, okay, I get it, Rome. I get all the spiritual stuff. But I mean, how do you actually get rich? That's in the back of your mind right now. The pyramid. (laughs) This whole time. The truth is, grace through faith sustains you when you're... Concerns are uncertain or feel unbearable. The truth is, even if you had enough resources to cover all of your needs, to cover all of your wants, all of your desires, all the future anxieties, there's always going to be more that you're lacking in. It's always going to be something else that you want, some other form of comfort, some other form of satisfaction. Some other ladder to climb up, even if you get that position. Some other pain that you're going to start feeling as you get older, as your body changes. Some other fear that's going to arise of losing your things, your positions, your status. There's always going to be something after your heart after your life. It seems like it it could be smoother for major life transitions, for next steps, all all those big things. But the true riches is only found in God's grace because that pays for our mistakes, that pays for our anxieties. When Chase declines, everything's on cryptocurrency. God's grace don't change. When you're on Bitcoin, there's a greater grace that never fails. So the call for you today is to trust in the grace that goes above all the works you can accomplish. Because those riches are available today through Jesus Christ. He has more grace than you have sins to commit. 
He is more grace than you have fear to feel. He has more grace than you have wants to desire. Think about this past week of personal phase, discouragement, setbacks, and recognize that there is a true cost to everything, right? We feel the weight and toll of injustice, uncertainty, and sorrow. But the good news is his grace never swipes and declines. Everything is on credit for righteousness when you trust in the riches of his grace because God paid for it with Jesus' life. That's how much his grace is for you today. Pull out your card. Pull out your card with me. And swipe or insert the chip of God's grace into the register. Pray with me. Thank you, God, for another opportunity to uh, just hear from you today. Uh, Feel your grace for us, for me. It's grace to me, God, to to hear your words. It's grace to the listeners to hear your word. It's grace to the people on the live stream that you've given another opportunity for a, a common sense of grace where people can hear about it. But then also that, that grace that you've given to sustain us. I pray that your grace would call those that do not know you. I pray your grace will make alive the dead. God, because that's ultimately all we were. That's all we are without you, God. And your grace... Some people may experience it as a, such a dramatic turn. I know I did when I trusted in you. Other people may be like Timothy where it was a faith that lived on in their family. And they grew up, they grew up knowing about your grace. And that faith eventually transitioned. And, and now they, they, they're growing in that, God. But help, help, help us all to understand your grace is still for us, God. Your grace is for us today yesterday, and tomorrow. And I ask that you continue to allow us to seek after your riches and pay solely out of your grace rather than our own efforts and our own works, God. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. So be it.